Welcome to the Free Oakley Podcast. This is your host, Billy Johnson. All right, everybody. It is Wednesday evening, 8.30 p.m., March 29th. We are the last couple days heading into the Final Four. This Free Oakley is a special one indeed. I'm joined by my my friend from Georgetown, Russ Wilk. Welcome back, Russ, for your, your third installment of March Madness. Final fours this weekend, but let's let's get into Georgetown Providence. You know, if we would have done this a week ago, there was I was feeling very emotional, a lot of emotions flying around over here. Anger, resentment, very upset, betrayed, betrayal. Um but you know what? It, it, it's been a week, and this week has been very rejuvenating, I'll say. And you know why? Because I've met somebody. I've met somebody else. It's helping me get over this. And that somebody is Kim English, the new head coach of, of Providence Basketball. So we'll get into to Coach English, the new coach of Providence. But you and I have been talking, obviously, throughout this whole Cooley thing. Ed Cooley, now the head coach of the Georgetown Hoyas, and we, you know, we we spent a lot of time breaking down the Cooley situation, and we were we got pretty close last week to thinking this was going to happen, and in fact, it did happen. Basically, a couple of days after a Providence loss at Kentucky, Cooley announced that he was in fact leaving Providence and and going to Georgetown, and that you know. I think there's a couple things here, right? But let's get into it. Like, first, well, I guess welcome back. Good to see you. Thank you. No, thank you. Like, <laughs> and again, uh, it's good to be back. Um, I think I made this joke last week. I wasn't sure I would be invited back because I, I think we saw this coming. Um, I will say, if it makes you, if it makes the Providence listeners feel better, like when we had that first podcast, even before the Big East tournament, I said Patino and Cooley were going to be the two names floated around for Georgetown, whether Providence fans liked it or not. Um, and, and we can obviously play back the timeline of what happened when. Um, but I, I think the reality of the situation is like, I, I think we can talk about Kim English and what he brings to the program going forward. Happy to give the perspective of, of Georgetown and, and kind of their fans view of the situation. But I, I would say I, I can relate to all those emotions because like the reality is we're all fans, but fan is short for fanatic, right? Like we are fanatical about our teams. We love them. Um, especially like for us as alumni, we went to these schools and it means something. Um, and I can't say that I've ever had a team where the coach left like interdivision and right, like went yeah. to, to a rival or, I mean, obviously we were somewhat rivals. We're now very much rivals. Um, so it's definitely a unique thing to even watch and be on the other side of. Um, but I, I think it certainly makes for a compelling Big East basketball landscape. So So we can absolutely get into it. Yeah, and it, it was it was wild because the speculation was there, and then it really happened o- over the course. I, I had off on Monday, so I, I did off. I took off from work last last Friday and Monday. Um, you know, I marched with Providence in the St. Patrick's Day Parade. Took the kids their first time marching, which was cool. And then I, you know, I just took that wrap around Monday, and a lot of this unfolded on Monday. And it was the the the, the media, the news was leaking, and then it was like it was just everything came to a head. Ed resigned. Uh, we had recruits decommit, uh, which is to be expected. 
Um, and then he announced the him him going to Georgetown. And then it then it was the press conference, and then it was watching Ed get up there and and do his whole song and dance, which 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 we know pretty well from Providence. But let let's let me just give you my two cents on the uh on the on the Cooley situation because and Providence is a very very committed it you know crazy fan base uh so I've spent more time ever on Twitter I, historically I'm not a big Twitter guy but I've spent so much time on Twitter these last few weeks it, it's a pretty dark place to be honest there's <laughs> just some wild stuff that goes it's like the wild west out there um but you know what like everyone was crushing Ed and and I, I will too in a moment, but I have zero problem with, with him leaving Providence. I, I think it's a little unrealistic, a little unfair for people to to get all up in arms with somebody leaving because he said it was his dream job. We're all you know, we're all professionals in life and you, you gotta do you gotta follow your gut. You gotta go with with opportunities that you think are gonna be better for you and your family and your long-term career. I have no problem with with him leaving. But I have a major, major problem with the, with the way he left and the, and the way he went about doing this. Like, leave after the season. Like, get get the handshake deal done. If you want to start start it behind the scenes, do and but and do it that way. Negotiate after the off season. Like, you're under contract. Like, you're you're supposedly committed to this job, and it's like anybody. Like, if 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 in our industry or if if you, if somebody just disappeared one day. And left, it's one thing, but it's also one thing to 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 tank an entire season, or to like you know like sabotage kind of your own work environment and your own community, because that's what that's what he did. Basically, you know, and we talked about this going into the Big East tournament. There was a real question in the air: of what the hell happened to this team? They were ranked 17th in the country, and they wound up falling down to an 11 seed and getting wiped out in the first round. Because all the all the smoke was true, and and he and he was leaving, and and what's un I find this unforgivable in that you know the, these types of teams don't really come around that often. So Ed Ed was in year twelve, he finally got I think the, the the highest ceiling, most talented team, and then he went he did everything in his power to to submarine that and sabotage that. And what makes it even worse is that he did this in a year where the Final Four is. A, a four seed, two five seeds, and a nine seed. We knew that this year, that's what made this whole season so exciting in in late January, early February, was that Friars were playing so well. We had high-ceiling guys like Hopkins and Carter, and it was in a year where the top 25, you could look up and down it, and no one was like terribly scary, or, or it seemed like you know this is a year they could actually compete in. Last year felt like a lightning in a bottle type of season. This year felt like they really had the... You know they had the guys to, to to make a run. So in my mind, Ed nuked basically this whole season and really everything he had kind of built up in that last twelve years. And I watched that that press conference for a guy who loves to bang the drum on integrity, character, loyalty. The guy did everyone dirty. The whole PC community, like you know, you he put up his he put his house up for sale earlier in the season. You know, that, that story came out. That was before the Seton Hall game where they got run out of the gym on senior day by 30. Steve Napolillo, our athletic director, the guy's like not even 12 months into his, his first tour. This guy pounded the table for Ed for raises and extensions in 2019 and, and 22. 
Knapp gets the job really on the back of, of Ed's sign off and Ed's, Ed's approval. So Ed leaves him in, in an incredibly tough spot. Uh, he, he leaves all, all the fans high and dry. Uh, the, and these kids, like, you know, guys like Hopkins and Carter, like we all know how short these windows are. And these guys transferred over to Kentucky, uh, from Kentucky and South Carolina, big, big programs. And for Ed to, you know, to really submarine a season is, is where I, I have my, my biggest problem with it. I, I don't kill him for, for leaving Providence. Like he was there for 12 years. If he wants to move on to some other challenge that he think is bigger and better or uh, more meaningful for him, I have no problem with that at all. But the way he went about it, I think, I think was, was, uh, was there. So, so, so like, here's what I said. And, and I knew this was going to happen with the irony of like, I'm going to have to now defend Ed Cooley as the Georgetown fan, but like, here's <laughs> what I will say. And look, the optics play out like he quit on the team and like, look, the team definitely lost momentum down the stretch to suggest that Cooley wasn't trying. I, I don't know how you know that. Right. Like I think when you kind of zoom out, Two losses to UConn, who looks like the prohibitive national champion favorite. A loss to a Xavier team that made the Sweet 16. Look, the Seton Hall game is the one that we're never going to be able to explain what really happened there. Now, look, did the players get a whiff that he was out? And then the players kind of turned on him and the players kind of gave up and Cooley couldn't hold it together? Possibly. Um, and look, but look, we talked about that Kentucky game. Was Ed Cooley the one boxing out Oscar Shibway? Right. Like we said it before the game that that game was going to come down to offensive rebounding. And I, I to say, I'm not sure that like Cooley didn't prep for that game or didn't try to win that game for those players. They might have been overachieving in the beginning of the season. Hopkins ran out of steam. We all said that's so like I get it. It feels like he quit on the team. I actually feel like it feels more like the team quit on him. And did the team quit on him because it was just a really bad kept secret? Because, look, technically, look, he did not ex accept the offer until obviously after the season ended. I think we all know it was a terribly kept secret. I think yeah. if you want to criticize anyone there, you could talk about who on the Georgetown side was clearly letting it leak that, like, they had gotten their guy and they had made a behind-the-scenes connection with Cooley. Because, again, everything you said, like, look, you're supposed to – back channel right you're supposed to do those things and that's what it seemed like georgetown did except every national media guy knew about it right so who was talking to the media so that it became such a buzz i understand that feeling that cooley quit on the team i think the team fell apart was it for the players to kind of be adults and say hey look coach i know you're leaving but like we're we're in this like that that's the stuff we're just not gonna know but i understand as the providence fan it, it's that the timing just feels like when that smoke started, the team tanked. I'm just saying it's really hard to say that Cooley stopped trying. I'll just say very obviously the dynamic of the team changed. They lost momentum. They ran into a buzzsaw and Hopkins ran out of, ran out of juice. Again, I don't know if again, to your point, did Hopkins feel betrayed leaving Kentucky to follow Ed to Providence? And maybe Ed told him like, look, this is probably happening at the end of the year. That's the stuff we're never going to know. Um, but I, I get that feeling from your side that like he quit. It's just, yeah. it's hard for me to say it when like, it's not like they got X's and O's out coached in that Kentucky game. Like we, everyone saw from a mile away, it was going to be, can you keep that guy off the glass and Cooley can't rebound for them. Um, and they couldn't, and they were in that game the whole way. And if they could have got three rebounds, it's a different discussion. 
But again, I, I get how you, I get why the Providence fan base feels that way. I'm not going to deny it. Yeah. And you know what it is with, with Ed too? He was, he had established himself as the center of the Providence basketball universe. Like he was like the, he was everything, right? The guy was like his orbit attracted the media attention. He was the media darling. He was the face of the organization. So like to, to get a sense like that guy, this guy's out. Like if this guy's out, this guy is Providence basketball right now. Like that's what this has turned into was like Cooley being the face of it being like, Oh, look at, look what I've done. And you know, in this small, small state and look what I've done with this program. I won my first big East regular season. You know, I've got a, I've got a constantly ranked team We're we're making the tournament Ed had morphed into the center of of the of the whole basketball universe at at Providence, and I think for it was to say it was a distraction. I think would be an understatement. Like I I think of course these guys are would be naturally competitive and and they would go out there and 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 try their best. I, I think I think it's fair to probably say it was a combination of that being the domino that started everybody starting to check out. It's just yeah, really no that's reason. Fair. There's no reason for like for the way that team was playing to to drop that St. John's game and then finish the season losing five out of six, like that and that and that's what again this is you know to say it again that's what kills me so much was that this was the first time like I really saw like a, like a like a talented team that was kind of ready for that next level whereas last year felt like oh we just got lucky with this kind of collection of combination of grad transfers and guys you know a couple guys uh that had been here for a while kind of all put it together and the luck and they were the luckiest team last year this this felt different and 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 not for nothing ed went full wrestling heel on his way out he was really avoiding it in any context with the media asking him questions about whether or not he was leaving before the tournament and then he has his press conference at georgetown where he says, quote unquote, divine providence is what brought me to Georgetown. Like he's twisting the knife in the back of the entire PC community. Like, come on, man, you're going to reference providence in your introductory press conference at Georgetown. And then he made it sound like you couldn't win a title at at PC, but he was totally ready to do this at, at Georgetown. So his press conference, it, it felt so disingenuous. So it to the to the Providence fan base, it felt like he was stabbing us, stabbing us in the back. It it felt like he was abandoning us, and it felt like he totally did quit on us. I wanted to to do a quick couple minutes on the history of the Big East because I think that's a another thing that really came into play here during this whole cycle was the fact that was this ethical? Was this unethical? Was the the whole interaction between Georgetown going after a coach in conference. And I think the history is important to even make a decision to say that, right? Because this is sports, this is a business. But let, let's do a quick two minutes on the history here, right? So the Big East, and we got a lot of Big East listeners out there, Big East fans. Big East is, is huge in the Northeast, right? Founded in 1979, Dave Gavitt from Providence. Founding members, Providence, Georgetown. St. John's, Seton Hall, UConn, and BC, and Syracuse. 1980, the next year, you get Villanova. 1982, you get Pitt. And that's kind of the initial found, you know, the, the founding fathers of, of the Big East. In the early 90s, you get Miami, Virginia Tech, West Virginia, 
Rutgers and Notre Dame. That's when the Big East starts to really kind of kind of expand a bit. The first shoe, the first shoe drops really in 2003 with Miami, BC, and Vatek both for the ACC. Bigger football programs, more money there. In comes the Conference USA teams. That's Marquette, Cincinnati, Louisville, DePaul, and South Florida. At that point, the Big East is like I think an 18 team massive conference. It's huge. And then, then 2011 starts to really blow up. Pitt, Cuse, West Virginia, Louisville, Notre Dame, <clears throat> Rutgers all split. Rutgers goes to the Big Ten. Virginia, te- um, West Virginia goes to the Big 12. The other schools go to the ACC. Now, then there's rumors of like the SMU, the St. Mary's, Memphis. Like, like how do you, you know, it was getting into a real danger zone, I think, for, for guys like us. For the for the for the Providence community, for the Georgetown community, what was built on a legacy of small Catholic schools in basketball was now morphed into something that was un 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 unwieldy. It was un, unsustainable. It was getting out of control. So the Catholic Seven in 2013 take a stand. This is PC Georgetown, Seton Hall, Nova, St. John's, Marquette, and DePaul. Got to get back to their basketball roots. Let's stop. Let's stop getting jerked around by the football schools and the football money. Let's go back to what our best interest is, which is basketball. So they add Xavier Butler and Creighton, and that becomes the Big East. You know how we know it today, with the addition of UConn coming back two years ago. So I think it was. You could argue, based off of that history and how much these two schools are tied to each other and how much these two basketball programs are, are tied to each other, putting success aside, putting, you know, the, the, you know, national titles or, or any sort of, you know, particular seasons aside or history. These are schools that really actually worked together to create a business and create a brand. So the fact that like Georgetown would go out and, and snake Cooley could be, look, could be viewed as a, as a, as a sleazy move. I think it, it's a, it, and you know, you can jump in in a second, but it's almost like, where are we going with this? And if we're going to run college hoops and college athletics like a business, would this have fallen in like a, a, a tampering type of category? You know, if you if you if you look at like the history of, you know, you had like Parcells and Belichick go back and forth between the Jets and Patriots. Draft picks had to be exchanged in, in those types of situations. There was real tampering there. Uh, Mike Holmgren, John Gruden. NBA, you had Jason Kidd, Doc Rivers, both those guys, you know, changed teams when they were under contract. They had to give up draft compensation. Mike Babcock, it happened in the NHL. It, it's happened across all the professional sports. I think it was a dirty move. And I, you know, I think that's the kind of stuff it's getting unchecked. It's unregulated right now. So look, here's what I'll say. And look, I, I will admit, as a Georgetown fan, look, it's a little complicated, right? Because like let, let's be honest, if I was choosing between Ed Cooley at Providence and his identical twin brother was named Ned Cooley and Ned was at Boston college, then yeah. And they're the identical coach. Yeah. Then I would rather Georgetown take the BC guy than take the Providence guy for the sake of the league. But absent that, I I think the reality is it's a big business. It's money. If Georgetown university conducts a national, a national coaching search, and they believe that Ed Cooley is the best person for that job, and Ed Cooley wants to take that job and Georgetown compensates Providence by paying the buyout clause that's in the contract. And Providence could have negotiated a higher buyout clause for Ed Cooley because they know he had been looking and Georgetown pays Providence that buyout. 
and Ed Cooley is an adult and chooses where he wants to coach, I don't know how you can tell Georgetown that they shouldn't do it just out of the principle of the fact that it's another Big East team when they feel that this is the best thing for their program. I know that hurts. I admit it's a little weird. And it's like, again, if there was an equal and equal equivalent coach that wasn't in the Big East, I'd rather not do the Big East thing. But that doesn't exist. And almost phrased another way, if Kim English was the coach at DePaul instead of the coach at George Mason, and he's the guy for Providence, are you really going to sit here and say that they shouldn't take him from DePaul. I know you're, you might say that's not big, you know, that's not DePaul Catholic seven is not the new. You could, you, yeah. You could change that to Seton hall, right? If, if, if let's say Kim English was at Seton hall and he's the guy and Rick Barnes recommends him and he wants to leave Seton hall to go to Providence to follow in Rick Barnes's footsteps. Are you really saying that you're going to take the same stance that Providence would should leave Kim English alone because it's, it's in conference. I get it. There's a reason why it hasn't happened before. Um, and I'm not sure it's going to happen again, although I could make a Kim English following Ed Cooley to Georgetown joke in six years. Um, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, I get it again. I wouldn't prefer it. I will admit that it feels a little not great as the Georgetown side, but if you really take a step back and like, I know your boys with, with Steve Napolillo for him to say that, like he, you know, saw the Georgetown AD Lee Reed as like a confident and an advisor and he can't look at him the same way if he put himself in Lee Reed's shoes and he's really saying that he wouldn't have done what he thought was in the best interest for his basketball program. I think that's being a little naive. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's complicated. Like you said, it's, it's uncharted territory. There's no rules in place that dictate a tampering scenario that would actually make, you know, make you not want to do it. Um, you know, there is a bio clause. Do you know what the bio clause is? Would it, would I don't know. Mean? I haven't heard that number uh, again, but yeah. it's interesting in that, like, again, that was something Providence could have negotiated in to protect themselves a little bit better. Cooley might've balked at that knowing that he would have eventually wanted to leave. So maybe that wasn't on the table, which again, probably was a warning sign that if Cooley wasn't willing to sign a contract with a super high buyout clause, that would have been prohibitive that like, you might not have should have been counting on that guy to be there forever. Um, but yeah, but by, by all accounts, Georgetown did like, they didn't, Ed Cooley is not in breach of contract. Georgetown paid whatever was necessary to be paid for him to be released from his contract. And, and this is the, the reality of the sport. I think so. It's definitely you called it last time, right? The Big East on Big East kind of crime there. That was we yeah. we we were we were interested to see if that would even come in, like that could that would even happen. Um, it, you know, it clearly did. It, it it's gonna it's definitely gonna be a, a wild subplot for for next season. I, I and what say, I would say is yeah. like what I was gonna say is like all kidding aside, like it is good for the Big East, right? Like if you think about the two things that like a college basketball pro conference needs for relevancy. It's good teams. And the big East really had a stellar NCAA tournament run, like potential national champion UConn, as much as we both probably collectively hate UConn um, and rivalries. And I think the reality is after the split in the Catholic seven, and now where we are, the rivalries haven't felt as real. And maybe you might disagree because you guys have been more relevant, but like you haven't had those rivalries with Patino at St. John's, and Georgetown doing the Cooley thing, there are going to be real rivalries next year 
um, that I think are ultimately good for the conference. Now, obviously, like hopefully Kim English succeeds, Providence lands on its feet, stays relevant, but like it is actually good for the conference to have these types of rivalries because it felt like the thing that was missing, right? Like the Georgetown-Syracuse rivalry isn't there anymore. Yeah. Like Villanova hasn't had a proper rival. I think UConn rising kind of gives that. Now you have this Georgetown-Providence side plot with St. John's mixed in and, you know, like, and Patino. And I think it's ultimately, I think it's actually very good for the conference. I appreciate that that is contingent on Providence landing on its feet, but I do think it's good. We we probably we, I, we look at as Providence fans like Villanova as being like a, a pretty big rivalry game. I, th- I think they probably don't view it the same way, but but we do. Um, and like we've said too, like it's better for the Big East when St. John's and Georgetown have have legitimate programs, which you know, which 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 we're on track for, which makes it like way more like sw- swings the competitive balance significantly. To have a pretty so- pretty solid Big East run in this tournament, and then to have incoming coaches of you know Ed jumping to 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 G Town and then Patino coming in, um, the one thing I think um, really has been, and like I said, the the roller coaster of emotions from <laughs> from these last two weeks, but I think what 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 what's comforting is is that you can really look at. Providence doesn't feel like a stepping stone job anymore. Like in the past, maybe that that has felt felt that way because you had. I mean, it really comes down to like Patino having that Final Four run and then him him moving on, and then like guys like Barnes and and Pete Gillen coming through and leaving after success. It, it felt like a stepping stone. This this whole situation was was just kind of weird all around, and there's some stuff. There's some stuff around. Ed's personal life and what's going on at home and them needing to get out and getting a change of scenery. I, again, I, I've been to some pretty dark places in the Twitter verse. Like, I don't think it's worth spending too much time there. Um, you know, for him to pick up and leave is, is weird and the whole situation. But I, I think if you look at now Providence college as, as a, as a destination or, or a head coaching job, they built it. It's really built up, and what's kind of at least you know I think the silver lining here, and what, what what we're now rejuvenated by, and we're looking forward to, is that it's it's not a situation where Ed got fired or you had to fire a coach because the 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 program was in complete shambles. Is that it's in really good shape from a financial commitment standpoint. The fact that Ed was almost four million dollars and, and like in the top fifteen, it's pretty big for 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 a small school, right? You're going to be paid in the top fifteen. You're gonna get you know real attention to the to the role. A couple of years ago, they they had a thirty million dollar project, which was the um, Rowane Development Center, which is fifty eight thousand square foot on campus facility, which is like the renovated gyms, practice facilities, weight rooms um, for not only the basketball team but for the entire athletic community there at PC. So that has been like a, a huge upgrade. You know, you know. The facilities are 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 awesome at, at PC. Um, the home court advantage, I think, is is a real deal thing. The um the amp, aka the old dunk, is a wild home court scene. Like I I told you, I went there for the DePaul game, and I was so impressed with like just like the like the the atmosphere there. And you think about it, it's like the, that arena is fourteen thousand versus like an MSG Capital One Wachovia. Those are all over twenty. So this is like a Big but intimate type of building, almost like the old Nassau Coliseum, but but smaller. Mm-hmm. And 
and let, let's not act like you can have success at PC, right? Like since the creation in, in 79, you had Patino go to a final four in 87. Rick Barnes won the Big East tournament in a back in a loaded Big East in, in 1994. Pete Gillen, when I was there, we had the Elite Eight run in 97 where one sham god pull-up jumper away from the Final Four. The Welsh, Tim Welsh, took over after Gillen, and Keno Davis followed him. There were some dark years there. I mean, Welsh actually had a, a number five seed in, in 2004, and they were ranked like 12th in the country at one point. So, you know, you can have success there. So I look at this as like, the program's in good shape. The, the The conference is strong. And, you know, if we're going to pay and we have the facilities, then then why not? You know, and like, um, I love the English thing now. Like there was, you know, there were some real, real names, different names getting thrown out originally. It was Patino because he because his history there. Could he come back? Um, Billy Donovan was name was thrown out there, which was a kind of a, like a, a real long shot. I mean, that would have been like a, a home run. You're talking about Billy Donovan, two national titles at Florida. You know, there was rumors like, you know, he might not make it through another season in the NBA. Could he come back? Um, but we, you know, we, we all know we wound up with, uh, with, with Kim English, who has been off to a rocking start. I can, you know, get into that a little bit more. But um, before I, yeah, I like, do, let's, let's, yeah. let's, let's, let's talk about, and again, like, I, I think, the motivation for Cooley leaving. So I think a few things can be true. One, and it's good to kind of acknowledge this, is that look, Cooley left Providence in a better place than when he found it, right? Like again, you you, you kind of hit on those on those dark years, but like the program was in a pretty rough place to a point now where you had made the tournament seven out of nine years. And we can talk about tournament success. I actually have a pretty good analogy for like Cooley in, in that regard. Um now, does he think he can do more at Georgetown? Uh, you know, I, I think the answer is yes. Now, is it a better job? I, I think I think the consensus is probably it's probably a little easier to win at Georgetown than it is at Providence. Doesn't mean that you can't and doesn't and clearly Cooley had one at Providence. But again, Georgetown has similar brand new facilities, Thompson Athletic Center, fertile recruiting ground DMV. And it sounds like he secured a significant NIL pot for him to go shop in the portal. And I think someone who had found a way to navigate the portal as well as Cooley, to me, that's maybe the most telling thing is that, look, maybe he had pulled some rabbits out of his hat to like get a Bryce Hopkins and yeah. to, you know, to, to do it. And maybe he looked around where he's like, I'm not sure this is sustainable for me to live in the portal if I can't get the NIL budget. And Georgetown was willing to offer it because I think what Georgetown had learned is the actual cost of not winning, right? It's one thing to pay Ewing and not have the success, but the knock-on effects of attendance and brand recognition and merchandise. And I think Georgetown really learned the hard way, the almost the opportunity cost of being bad um, at basketball and then was willing to make the financial investment that made it interesting for Cooley to go. Like, I think, I think, all of us as humans could probably appreciate spending a place at thir 13 years at a place and asking yourself, have I done all I can? Um, look, I'll still admit from that first podcast, I didn't think he was going to go and I didn't think he was going to go to Georgetown because I didn't think he'd want to have to deal with going back to Providence every year. Yeah. Um, but, but if he looked around and thought that Georgetown was a job that he thinks he can win a national champion 
chip at. And he just didn't think he could do that at Providence. And he's 53. And if it's not now, when, and he makes the jump, like, I, I think you can understand all of that. It doesn't make it any less painful for it to be in conference um, and to have to have to go back every year. To me, that's the, the, the surprising part is that he's willing to deal with that furor. And cause I will say like, as a Georgetown fan, even I underestimated the passion of Providence fans um, throughout this, right? Like the Georgetown fans are excited and like, you can talk about the Cooley spiel, but for Georgetown fans, we haven't had it in six <laughs> years um, and it's refreshing and it's exciting. And even like the thing where Cooley talks to all the other sports coaches, I'm sure he did the exact same thing on his first day at Providence, but to Georgetown, it's just like a breath of fresh air. Um, but if he thinks that's a better job and he thinks he can do something, I don't think anyone can, to your point, you can't fault him for leaving. You can get into the semantics of, of who knew what, when there's a whole bunch of outrage about the Eddie Lampkin zoom call that happened before the tournament. Oh, and yeah. They're very strong. Now look, honestly, Eddie Lampkin's a perfectly fine player. I think it would be easier for everyone if he doesn't come to Georgetown. Cause I honestly don't need to deal with the story of like, he was really recruiting him to Georgetown. Cause again, none of us were on that zoom. And the flip side is he was the coach of Providence. And would you have wanted him not recruiting for Providence while he still had the seat? So that all gets muddy. I get it. It feels dirty. I'd rather him not come to Georgetown. There's plenty of players of, of that caliber in the portal that you don't have to do that and make it so muddy. Um, but again, I, I think you could, when you think about it that way, you, you could understand the move. But again, he has set the program up in a spot where Kim English can come in and in theory keep the momentum. And that's what you'd want to say. Yeah. I, and thanks for bringing up the Lampkin thing. That was, I missed yeah. that in my tirade of my, I my, know. Uh, uh, he put his house up for sale before the Seton Hall game. And then right before the Kentucky game, less than 48 hours before before that he, he was taking a zoom call for recruiting which everybody thought was oh that's a good sign it's sticking around right right <laughs> and then he leaves again, you're like, like you know he's recruiting for georgetown before the you, you know no doubt about that before the kentucky right, like, i think the reality is it was going to be an impossible situation to win and leave and have providence fans be like you know what he did that the right way other than them winning the games which as much as he tried to control, he couldn't control. If he's not doing the recruiting and he doesn't leave and Cooley's behind in the portal and you guys don't get anyone for next year, it's going to be what the hell. So you kind of can't win, but I'll admit it would be a lot easier for everyone if Eddie Lampkin picks a different school. What do you, so where, where, where's your head with, um, with Cooley? Like, like, cause I have that, yeah. you know, I have that as like, there's silver lining. And there's, there's, you know, you can look at for the English situation coming in fresh. Like I've mentioned it before, I, I felt like there was a little bit of a ceiling with Ed. As much as he, you know, people want to say there's a ceiling for Providence, I felt like there was a ceiling with the situation in terms of how Ed could get us to that to that next level. Yeah. So I mean, look, this this is what fans do, which is they they rationalize and talk themselves into it really quickly. So so yeah. here's what I'll say: there's a segment of the fan base that if Cooley doesn't win big right away and with Patino being at St. John's, and again, I don't know whether this is true. This is the, the internet rumors is that Patino actually preferred Georgetown. I don't know if any of that's true. I know there was the other side of that story arguing that Patino wanted to stay in New York and be by Wingfoot and the golf and all of that. Yeah. But I don't think it's a coincidence that Patino didn't 
announced St. John's until 30 minutes after Cooley officially signed to Georgetown, right? Like, I think he left that open and it seemed like he preferred Georgetown and Georgetown just didn't want to engage. If you put Patino aside, I do think Cooley was the best available candidate for Georgetown. And I do think, I do think people are making this like, well, he has a, a reasonably high floor, but not a super high ceiling. The comparison I'm going to make and bear with me is actually Mick Cronin going from Cincinnati to UCLA. So Mick Cronin grew up in Cincinnati, went to the University of Cincinnati, coached at Murray State before, um, mm-hmm. and then went to Cincinnati and was at Cincinnati for 13 years. Sound familiar? Um, guess how many Sweet 16s Mick Cronin made at Cincinnati? One. One. Yeah. One, right? Sounds familiar. Um, now, I, I do think people will it's much cleaner to make the argument that UCLA is in a different class than Cincinnati than Providence versus Georgetown, but UCLA fans, he was probably UCLA's fourth or fifth choice. And it felt it felt like a settle because Mick Cronin had this in theory ceiling that he couldn't get above. And what does he do when he gets to UCLA three sweet 16s and a final four, right? So again, the, the question is with the resources that Georgetown has compared to Providence, are people underestimating Ed Cooley's ceiling? As a Georgetown fan, I'm contractually obligated to talk myself into that. Um, but I, I do think to some extent, I think people might be selling that, so- that short and understating how difficult it, it is actually to get recruits to, to, to come to Providence despite the resources. I think it's the location, the cold, only so many um, top recruits around you, notwithstanding the fact that UConn is now this rising behemoth that you're going to have to compete with for every local recruit um, that the floor for Georgetown, you know, like there might be a higher ceiling at Georgetown and Cooley could have a similar Cronin type path where you do 13 years at your alma mater, you have success. It's stable. You make that jump to a different brand. You get more resources and you take off. That is what Georgetown fans are telling themselves. And again, he's won the press conference, obviously flipped some recruits. There's some names in the transfer portal um, Jaden Epps, um, who's at Illinois, there, there, there's rumors of guys that are that are coming. The whole staff comes with him so he can really yeah. hit the ground running. Um, so, so Georgetown fans are optimistic. Again, there's going to be that 10% of the fan base who's not going to let Patino go, especially if Patino turns St. John's around quickly. But absent that, like it's been a home run for Georgetown as well. Yeah, so if you look at um, – and Ed, you know, his his record was solid. So 12 years of Providence, he was 242 and 153. Good for a, a 61% winning percentage there. Uh, in the Big East, 118 and 99. So almost a 55% there also. NCAA tournament, three and seven, which I, which I think is one of the challenging angles to, to, the, to the Ed Cooley story as a Providence college coach. I think his, uh, you know, he he came over from Fairfield. His first two years, uh, you know, he was like four and fourteen in the conference in year one, nine and nine in year two, which is a big big improvement. Those were the years where it was like you know full tilt. Cuse, Notre Dame, Louisville, Cincinnati, yeah. all those teams were like he had his first two years were were in the in the old school. Um, you know, bloated version of the Big East, and then 2013-14 was the his year three, first year in the new conference when they got you know Xavier, Creighton, and um, 
and Butler that that year they won the Big East tournament. So I think the I think Ed benefited greatly by the realignment, and and you're you're dealing with a smaller conference. Um, you know, none of those behemoths like the like the Syracuses and the Notre Dames and the Louisvilles. Um, so Ed staying in conference could you know he should I guess still benefit by by that factor. Yeah. Um, you know, we had a couple good years. Like we had like the the Chris Dunn, the you know the Ben Bentel years. Uh, we got as high as eighth in the country in 2015, 2016. Um, that team also had a had a late season slide, so they were eighth in the country at one point. Big early season wins. I remember against like Arizona, Michigan State, and then they wind up falling down the stretch, um, losing uh, in a, like an eight nine game, which was uh, or they won in an eight nine game and then lost to number yeah. one UNC right after that. Um, I think you know the the Cooley era, the Cooley era was, you know what the, the the thing you I think you know we could we could all all agree was that like. Like you said, he, he left Providence in a better place. Like they became relevant, they became competitive. I think some of that was the realignment, and you know he benefited from that. But you know, I think the good thing, which was nice to finally get back to or or experience, was year in year out competitiveness. Like I just read the records; he was way above five hundred in conference and also you know at, you know overall in those twelve years. So it was like. It, it was it was fun to be able to to go into hoop season every year knowing hey we'll see we'll see what we got even in those down years like I remember I I think like the most impressive one he had was 2017 2018 um they lost an overtime of the of the Big East title game against Villanova who won the national title that year and that was after you know Dunn and Bentle were gone guys that that went pro. And we kind of had like a um, kind of a mixed bag of dudes, and um, they, you know, he had like you know he 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 put together some moments for sure, and you know I I think he can, you know, I I think it was just you know he just couldn't get over the that that hump you know like one Sweet Sixteen in the twelve years, um, the stars kind of aligned for those first two rounds. Now they earned the four seed, you know, and they and they got to you know beat the thirteen seed South Dakota State, and they beat. Wound up beating a Richmond team that upset Iowa, um, hung with Kansas, but you know ultimately couldn't couldn't get it done. But um, it was yeah. I, I think I think the reality is judging coaches just by their March Madness success is is tough, right? Like, trust me, as a Georgetown fan who lived through the JT three era of like all the bad upsets, I mean, I can thank Purdue for probably knocking Georgetown off the pedestal of like worst March Madness performing team of the 2000s. Um, but it, it's really tough to judge someone off that amount of games. And I think everyone like Shaka Smart's got an issue now where what is he lost his only NCAA tournament win in his last nine games was the two over the 15, right? Like uh-huh. we're going to say Shaka, Shaka, Shaka just won national coach of the year. And you have people on the Georgetown boards being like, well, he hasn't done anything in March. Like he stinks. And it's like, <laughs> it, it's 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 a slippery it's a slippery slope like slippery slope other than like the isos of the world and maybe you, those guys are underappreciated like march success is really fickle right like we can talk about the final four but the reality is of the two two of the four teams in the final four fau should have lost to memphis right like i don't know if you watched that game but there was a botched yeah. jump ball call with 15 seconds left and fau probably should have been eliminated um 
Miami was down eight to Drake with four minutes left. Yeah. Um, Drake just cratered. And now those teams are in the final four and no one's going to remember that. And none of it matters because it just is about whether you win. But the reality is it's just such small samples um, that it is tough to judge people on those results. And again, Mick Cronin struggled in the NCAA tournament, hadn't won a game, you know, had a losing record in the NCAA tournament, one sweet 16, multiple exits in the round of 64 as a single digit seed. And then he gets to UCLA and it's different. It's just, it marches so random. Filling out a bracket is ridiculous. Um, yeah. and, and I get it. Like, again, I think Cooley's got something to prove. Like I jokingly made the Danny Hurley had to win a game in the NCAA tournament yeah, here he to is. kind of get that monkey off the back. And, and now here he is. Right. So you're basically bad at winning in March until you're good. Um, and all it takes is the right run and people forget like Jay Wright, Villanova had a March madness problem until they didn't. Right. So um, I get it. That that's what Providence fans rightly will remember. Cause he didn't get to write that wrong there, but I'm not sure it defines him as a coach going forward. Yeah. The thing was, is that with, with PC history, like we had so many really unique and special runs, like the fact that Patino yeah. took a Billy Donovan led team to a final four in 87 was, was massive in the height of like the big East success. Right. Um, my, when I was there, that, that elite eight run, you know, we were, we were a 10 seed that beat a seven, no biggie there. And then we beat like kind of an overhyped, overranked number two Duke team that really didn't have like that was like a wojo jeff capel team and then we in the sweet 16 we played a 14 seed so we, we right. played t- tennessee chattanooga the path opens, the path <laughs> opens. Like, oh. and then we played arizona who won the national title but like they had beat the number one kansas that kansas team had paul pierce uh pollard lafrance and jacques vaughn like that team was like i think lost one game the whole year arizona took care of them that made a final four run possible like Ed just never had that real special stars aligned type of run. Yeah. But but like the consistent year in, year out success, which was is what got the program to a better place where it is today. So you know, maybe before we go, if, if you want to spend a couple minutes on the final four, we could do that. Um let me just do the English thing. So yeah. uh another roller coaster of emotion. Like at first, when you hear names like first of all, you hear Ed's leaving. And it, it felt early on, it was like, it would be like if, if your fiance or wife left you for your brother or your cousin, because it was like, oh man, like not only does that, is that, a, is that suck, but it's like, you're going to see them twice a year at Thanksgiving and Christmas, and you're not gonna be able to get away from this person. Um, and they're going to kind of rub in your face when you see them. But, you know, that was, so that was painful. <laughs> and that was where, where a lot of the, that were, it was tough early on with the Cooley news. Then, um, to have names like Patino and Donovan thrown out there, you're like, oh my god! Well, like, wow, that could be. The-. And then once that dried up, and and in the reality setting, you're like, well, well, wow, what are we looking at here? Um, and then Kim English's name came up, and at first you're like, first like most people, are like, who the hell's Kim English? You know, like, um, from my for- Fordham dalliance, I actually saw him coach George Mason against Fordham late in the season. Uh, George Mason won that game, but that's how I knew the name. And so when they said Kim English from George Mason, I'm like, oh, okay, young guy. Um, but we're like, can this guy coach? We have we have no idea. So then you get to know him a little bit, you know, you know his background. So I think you touched on it earlier. Kim English, um, he was a baller in college, played like four years at Mizzou. Uh, average like 15 a game. I think his last, like, if not three last two seasons, um, made the tournament every year. Uh, they were, they were a, a legit squad. 
Um, he winds up getting drafted in the second round of the NBA draft and does one year in the league for, I guess, a bad Pistons team and plays like 50 games, uh, not a ton of minutes, but like, you know, the guy, you know, stuck around on an NBA roster for an entire season and then wind up doing like a summer league tour in Chicago the next year, couldn't hang on there and did a couple years in Europe. But then came back and he's done a few coaching since his, you know, before George Mason, most notably, he was Rick Barnes is like right hand man um, or is like mean recruiter over at Tennessee. So he's got the Barnes connection, the Tennessee assistant coaching, got the head coaching job, did two years there. First year, 14 and 16 in the A-10, last year, 20 and 13. So a big jump there, although you know we've covered in this podcast, not a, not a hugely strong year for the A-10, but there, there was some some writing on the wall where like okay you know you know maybe this maybe this guy could be something um he winds up bringing over two guys from George Mason so far to kind of counteract some of the guys the, the recruits that maybe decommitted from Ed going to Georgetown but you had kid Justin Fernandez who is a you know George Mason's highest recruit of all time um was just a freshman last year he's come he's from the uh DMV area, right? So he's coming over yep. to to Providence, and Josh Adoro, who was their best player last year, he was first team All A ten, grad transfer, eighteen a game. Um, so you're getting like the two best players from George Mason. Now you don't want a whole roster of A ten guys to play in the Big East, um, so it remains to be seen on like he's already got committed uh, Corey Floyd Jr. to stay, and also Alan Breed some other guards. So really interesting to see what happens with Hopkins and Carter. The thing that sold everybody and is making this really exciting is was last night on Instagram live um, earlier in the day, Jaden Pierre put his name in the transfer portal and he was our best freshman last year. He was our highest recruit top hundred guy um, like kind of in that hundred area um he was a freshman last year and he showed flashes but you know with ed leaving he put his name in the portal and all of a sudden there's this like instagram live post that's like all over twitter at like seven o'clock last night and it's basically it's kim english being like this is this is the the by transfer portal boy i told him he couldn't leave unless he beat me in one-on-one and and he's like tell him who won and pierre's like coach won so Kim English plays Jaden Pierre one on one with with the story of the transfer him his transfer portal status at stake here, so it remains to be seen if he actually does leave. But but just the fact that he's got these kids in the gym playing against them, he's thirty four years old, played in the league. We we you know we've played basketball like when you play against guys who are are there's legit guys and there's legit guys. If you're if you can hang on an NBA roster. Like you're a fucking legit, dude. And if you're 34, he's probably the best player on Providence's whole roster right now. And he probably will be for the next few years. So the fact that we got that level of a guy, and then he's on Instagram Live, and you can see there's there's ballers popping up like Keon Johnson, who's on uh who's in the league now, who was at Tennessee. Um, you can see it and like they're they're calling out guys and and he's like, um, you know, English has got to, you know, he's saying like, yeah, I told him he's got to beat me one-on-one. And they're both like in the gym. It's late. Um, you know, that led into today. This was that and today was the press conference. So this was the, the today was the Kim English press conference, which I will admit I did. I did throw the headphones on at work and and I, and I checked it out. Um, dude, alumni hall packed the on-campus arena. 
packed with students, faculty, old players, the current team, including Hopkins, Carter, Pierre, like all those guys were there. Um, the whole, like the whole Providence community. It was like, um, it was just like, it was wild. It was a wild scene. Like nap nap came out. He got a standing O like it was the state of the union. Like people were going bananas and, um, you know, it it was really cool to see, man. Like, you know, I I think this is actually the turning point where it's like I think this whole thing is actually bringing everyone closer together, in, involved in the in the PC basketball community. It's a it's a rich history. It's a proud community. People love PC hoops if you're involved with it. Um, you know, it it was re- it was really cool to see. It was cool to see the greeting that Nap got, Father Sakard. The whole English thing is like right now, like you know, everyone's ready to run through a wall f- for English and. Um, hopefully there's enough there that can, um, you know, there's enough of a framework in there that we can actually have some immediate success. It's obviously going to come down to who he keeps and who he can recruit and, um, the, how he fills out the rest of the staff. But, uh, I couldn't be more excited about this. And for everyone who did have their doubts about Ed and I'm an, I'm a half glass empty guy from a sports fan perspective. Anyway, I, I always will be, um, you know, you, you could point to the, to the shortcomings of Ed and be like, oh, the guy couldn't get it to the next level we're starting new here and, and it feels like their, their English could be the guy, man. Yeah. So, so a, a few things, I, I think, I think that last point's really important, right? Like if Cooley was always going to be flirting or you got like, a, like it's probably for the best that it just happened, right? Like you kind of need to rip the bandaid off now in terms of alternatives here. Cause here's what I'll say about uh, uh, Kim English you know, Georgetown fans have kept a close eye on him just because, look, the the Patrick Ewing uh, not being qualified for the job thing is clearly two years in the making for Georgetown yeah. fans who have been actively kind of looking at who the next coach could be. And honestly, I would say last year there was a bunch of Kim English to Georgetown momentum. Again, George Mason is right in the DMV. Kim English is a Baltimore guy. Right. You mentioned Justin Fernandez. He beat out like Maryland and other DMV schools for a top hundred recruit. And then George Mason got off to a super hot start his first year. They went into College Park and beat Maryland. That might have been one of Turgeon's last games uh, before they moved on from Turgeon. But he won at Maryland and it really felt like he had something there. I would say the pedigree all makes sense. Right. Like played in the league. Telegenic, energetic looks like a great recruiter, uh, assistant coach at a few different stops. I know it was Colorado and then Tennessee, as you mentioned, and then stepping stone job at the A-10. So to some extent, this is all a very nice natural progression. The only thing that's missing is that when he was the head guy at George Mason, those two years of performance are at best just okay, right? Like, again, like we talked about a slightly better conference record this year in the A-10. It was a much weaker A-10 and maybe Providence fans are done with the Ken Palm metrics at this point, but like the, the his team didn't get better necessarily year over year. Um, th- that's kind of the only thing that's missing. I will say if you listen to him talk about basketball philosophy, it aligns with the modern game, pace and space, ball movement, yeah. drive the paint, kick it out for three. He says all the right things and his team tries to play the right way. And I'm not sure you want to judge his coaching acumen off two seasons at George Mason while he's still probably getting his roster in shape yeah. to me, the alternative for Providence fans. And again, I'm not sure this name was ever thrown out there, but again, let's throw out the Patinos and the Billy Donovan's and the things like that. 
I don't think you were ever going to realistically get in on Micah Shrewsbury. He was from Indiana. He was leaving Penn State. Notre Dame probably made too much sense. You could have gone with like a Mike Rhodes, like VCU. VCU guy. Yeah. Definitely a more pedigreed background. That probably would have been the safe floor hire. Kim English is a swing for the fences, right? Like, cause if he hits and everything lines up, you guys are going to the next level, right? And he's got that energy and he can recruit and he's passionate and the fan base will be engaged. And like, he'll do, he's doing all of those things. There is that little awkward thing of like, he hasn't as a head coach taken a team to make that jump just because he's so young and it was only two years at George Mason. And you would have loved to see, even if it wasn't a tournament bid, improvement from year one to year two. Um, and that really didn't get there. Um, and it's not like Justin Fernandez killed it in the A-10 as a yeah. freshman, as a top 100 recruit. But again, everything else, like other than that fact, and I appreciate it, it's a very big fact, everything else lines up. And again, if you're tr- like Rick Barnes apparently gave him a full throated endorsement, which obviously meant something to the the Providence you know, brass, um, the potential is absolutely there for him to be that guy. I think we're just going to have to wait and see if the results on the court follow, but everything else around it to your point is there. And it's good reason for the fan base to be excited. Yeah. I think it's like, it's it's like the, the argument you guys were making for Ed, right? Like you went yeah. from, you know, here, here's a guy armed with a, all the resources of NIL and, and the recruiting to, you know, to do it here. Same thing is like, you know, here's a guy, Kim English, give him the facilities of the of of Providence, give him the give him the paycheck, give him the the big east, you know, yeah. and, let, and let this guy cook. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm excited, man. It, it, it was the Instagram live thing fucking really got me. <laughs> I was like, uh, I, I couldn't believe it. And my, my you know, my wife is like, you're so pathetic. Um, <laughs> but, but, um, and then like, and then today I was impressed with nap, Steve Napolillo, my boy, you know, I think, I think the good thing for, for him too, is Mike Trangizi was there. He, he's been in his ear. I think Providence because of the Dave Gavick connection in creating the big East, there, there's always been like, like a real rooted interest in, in getting sound quality advice, you know? Um, so I think Trangizi was kind of, was big on the English thing as well. So it's it's nice, man. To you know, I'm glad we waited because because we said that um, you know, we could have done this right after Ed left, and it was just been in anger and for, from my my perspective, and it would have been a probably a bigger bigger hit piece on Ed. Um, but to come full circle, and I'm glad this wrapped up quickly. Like this didn't yeah. drag out at all, probably for both of our sakes. Um, was that you know we kind of got it done and. You know, Ed left. You know, backfilled. We're we're off and running. Everyone's off and running, and um, we got one more week in the college hoops. Um, and then and then it really begins, right? Then the jockeying begins for for Big East supremacy. What what's your take on um anything else, or what or what are you thinking on the yeah. uh, the final four? Yeah, I mean, like it's it's been a fun tournament. Again, I'll take I'll I'll do my my um victory lap for calling uh the Furman Paladins Furman? on this very podcast. Trust me, there was a lot of bad picks. Um, and I think that's the reality of the bracket. Look, I think I think it's super interesting. I think everyone knew it was going to be unpredictable. I don't think anyone could have guessed this all of the top seeds losing, like one through three, like first elite eight without a one seed and then first final four without um any one through three. I think that's right. Um and it, it just shows the parody in college basketball. And I, I do think 
part of the reason for these upsets is that fifth year of eligibility for the COVID, right? Like the two guys who were the fairly Dickinson guards had each played like 120 something games and they're going up against freshman guards at Purdue. And I do think the NCAA should probably consider keeping that fifth year of eligibility for athletes, yeah. right? Like if, again, if we're really saying it's about student athletes and they're meant to take the time necessary to graduate while playing these sports that they should probably get that extra year of eligibility just as a given, as opposed to just a, a COVID thing. I think it was ultimately good for the sport. I think it'll be interesting to see in the next few years, do the upsets kind of revert back to a normal level without that fifth year of eligibility and some of these mid-majors struggling to have that experience advantage over some of the maybe power schools. As it relates to the remaining teams, UConn's clearly playing the best. <clears throat> There's no denying it. And again, I think the, the irony is when we did our Big East tourney preview, I said UConn and Creighton were the two teams playing the best in the Big East. They both bow out on Big East semis night. Yeah. Um, and then they regroup and, and go on runs. Like Creighton got pretty unlucky on that foul call at the end against San Diego State. What was your take on but that? But again, I would say, look, it, the, it, it's a foul, right? Like he had his hand on his side. And when you're jumping in the air and yeah. there's contact on the side, it's a foul. Now, San Diego State taught, plays honestly a pretty ugly brand of basketball. And there were 80 fouls you could have called in that game. So it's tough. It's one thing to say a foul is a foul is a foul at any point in the game. And so if it's a foul, you call it, but you also have to be consistent throughout the majority of the game. Yeah. And the refs were not consistent in that game by making that call compared with what they had done throughout the game of letting it be a fist fight up until that moment. It's just an unfortunate ending. Like, again, the guy fouled him, but it's more about the rest of the game being officiated differently than the last play would, would be my gripe there for Creighton as opposed to the play itself. I did like Jason Williams take on it was that like, I think he ran through the number of fouls and all the other elite eight games. And this yeah. had so, so, so many, so many less fouls in comparison. Yeah. And like, like you said, like the refs were swallowing the whistle the entire game. And then to send a guy to the line with half a second left was, was pretty ridiculous. Yeah. And again, like we talked, I already made my FAU and, and Miami points. Like I, I think it sets up for UConn. I think San Diego State just keeps grinding like it's ugly basketball. I Again, I wanted Creighton to win for the Big East. For the Big East to have two of the four would have said something um, pretty dramatic. Um, and honestly, San Diego State plays a pretty – I mean, look, you can appreciate good defense for 20 minutes and you watch 40 minutes of it and it's 52-50 and it's like someone make a shot. Like yeah. anyone make a shot. Um, but I, I do think San Diego State probably moves on and – it's it's just impossible to pick against UConn right now. It it is all clicked. They're back to where they were at the beginning of the season when they had gotten up to preseason number two. They lost their way in the Big East, and that's what happens. The Big East grinds you and spits you out, and then they found their way back. I had assumed not having to guard Andre Jackson would be a problem for that offense because you really don't have to guard him yeah. at the three-point line, but they have found the right ways to use him, whether it's him – doing dribble handoff action and setting a ball screen, finding the few spots on the court where he's comfortable um, and, and really putting him in, in position to succeed. And once they figured that out, everything just kind of clicked. The offense is a wagon. The defense is, is, is really good. They're deep. They're not dependent on any one guy. I mean, if there was any one guy, you'd say it's Hawkins, but like yeah. if Sonogo gets in foul trouble, they bring in Klingon and he cleans up the paint and like Caravan's, knocking down threes and you bring Calcaterra off the bench. Like 
they are the deepest team um, and they seem to have gotten over the hump in their what they did to Gonzaga was just like just a slaughter Annihil- um, annihilated them. Yeah. Yeah. Just really just ran them off the court. Um, they did the same thing to Arkansas. Right. So that they're, they're clicking at the right time and it would just be really hard to pick against them at this point. Yeah. Miami's had a, I think they're pretty old, right? They got a lot of, um, yeah, you know, they got a lot when of it, experienced dudes there. And if you want to talk NIL, right? Like Nigel pack was one of the most sought after, portal transfers for last year literally announces like a two-year eight hundred thousand dollar deal deal like 400k a year wow like literally like announced like a contract signing for him to go to miami and they get rewarded for it with with a run to, to the final four um i don't know how texas gave away that game uh they'll, they'll be questioning that one for a while um but look for miami to to really kind of run houston off the court the way that they did they they absolutely yeah. earned it um and again, they beat the one and the two, right? Like they they played, I think it was actually, they played the toughest path at every round. They had to beat the four seed, the one seed, mm-hmm. and the two seed in their region. So there's no denying that they've earned it. Um, I just think they're running into a different beast. Shout out to Jim Laranega, Archbishop yeah. Alloy High School, Queens dude, and Providence College grad. Also- And he, George Mason. Yeah, yeah, he, he went to PC- did the George Mason Final Four run was in line with like PC was looking at Larinaga versus Cooley um, back yeah. when they hired Ed, so um, or maybe even yeah around that like that keynote time, so um, you know and then two you know in the last the run last year right they made the Elite Eight last year and then Larinaga is yeah. in, the, in the Final Four, um, who who do you think so you think it's gonna be UConn San Diego State with UConn I'll winning? say yeah I'll say UConn over San Diego State I mean. Nothing's been predictable in this tournament, so it's a, like that. That is, those are the two favorites at this point. Um, I do think it's interesting to see if Dusty May, the FAU coach, does he parlay this into another job? Again, I think like someone like Providence could they have waited for a Dusty May? Like I, I think the risk isn't worth it, right? Like you you yeah. couldn't afford to wait, um, and so there's not as many jobs open. I'm not sure Texas Tech has found a head coach. I have to think about that for half a second. Um, but it'll be interesting to see if, because he seems to be a rising star in the coaching ranks. And I think that's that'll be an interesting thing to see if there's a job for him on the back end of this, because what FAU's done is pretty phenomenal as well. So Knapp in the press conference today said he always had three names in his drawer in case, you know, on standby. Yeah, in case that's your job. And he had three names on standby and he had English going, you know, from last year. And then when English got up to do his introduction, he was like, "He's like Steve, you could throw those three names away, man, because I, I, I'm not going anywhere." Yeah. So. All right, man. Well, this is this is it. This is gonna be um, last probably last pod till what Thanksgiving ish if we're if we're gonna yeah. do the the Big East preview. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd I'd love to throw myself into the the ring for a Mets pod at some point. Oh um, yeah. Once baseball gets going, but I imagine I'll be off the podcast for a little bit. So I appreciate everyone who tuned in. It's it's really fun to do. Um, and the Big East is going to look a lot different next year, and when we'll and we'll we'll be here to preview it um, when the rosters are set, and then see how everything looks. All right, man. Well, it was uh, it was good catching up. I I feel. You feel closure, man. I feel, you feel closure. I can see it in your eyes. I can see that <laughs> twinkle in your eye, man. You have a new crush. I know Kim English. I, you know, the Kim English is, um, you know, I feel like I'm like, I'm, I'm, yeah, I feel refreshed. I got You're it. Actually, smitten. I'm You're smitten. smitten. Yeah, yeah, I'm in love, my friend. I'm, it's a good feeling. 
I don't yeah. have to worry about the uh, I won't have to worry about the X stepping out. Yeah, well, I, again, I, I I will bet a decent amount of money the Big East opener is Georgetown at Providence, so you're going to see him soon. I gotta I I gotta start. I might have to buy season tickets just to make sure I'm at that game. That's going to be a game. I, I don't know how else to describe it. Like the the only irony would be is if they do it as the Big East opener, that it would be when students are not in session. So I'm not. Maybe yeah. they won't do that. Um, but I will say, like again, you talk about what's good for Big East basketball. That game's on Big Fox. Yeah, and that game is that game is nationally televised and will probably do a very good rating in the Northeast for sure. Well, with that whole subplot and English coming in and and Rick Pitino coming back, I think we're we're setting up for um and look at the success if you know you might have a Big East win in the national champ a Big East team win in the national championship on Monday, um yeah. and and had a pretty good tournament run so setting up for maybe the best basketball conference in the country. The bar is high. Russ Wilk, always a pleasure, my friend. All right, take care. Daniela, you said all those things I wouldn't have dared.